Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Like I said, they... Who's going to drive this? You have oil and gas. You've got the the operator side, which is like the big, big companies that, you know, we all know about, like, you know, the the big, huge companies. And then you have the, you know, the they, they actually have the land and they'll say, here's the lease, here's the land, whatever. We're going to, you know, drill here, but then they'll put out the bid. And then there's a bunch of companies that will go and they'll, you know, they're contractors and they're they're going to try to win those bids and they're going to go out there and, you know, they're going to bring their best technology to the whole. And try to return like the you know extract like the most oil that they can for for that bid right but then you have a situation so you can imagine this playing out like you know you have a operator has a hole they're putting out the bid contractor a comes in and he's like we're going to do it the same way that we've always done it and i'm going to give you this much and there's going to be you know x amount of flaring and whatever and we're going to report all that and then there's the other contractor B that shows up and they're like, yeah, we're going to do it. But we've also got this, you know, doghouse over here on the rig, on our rig. That's going to, you know, yeah, and it's going to handle the, the flaring piece. Um, we're going to give you the same amount of oil, but at the end of the day, we're going to give you also a little side piece of Bitcoin, whatever, because the operator would own it. You know, they're, they're owning that Bitcoin piece. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see. I mean, you, you don't you don't have to play that out on a very long timeline to see how no. that can play out. Within within a year, they'll all adopt that shit, probably. Otherwise, they're non-competitive, right? That is so cool. I love it. Good morning, Tone Vase. Good morning, Wicked. Morning. Morning, guys. Shout out to Tone yesterday, Swan Signal Live. Great episode with Mauricio, really enjoyed that. I'm going to be putting out a lot of clips uh, later today and, and this week of that episode, but uh, thank you for your time. That was a great one, man. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I, I think I, I met him once at a dinner. He reminded me it was up in uh, Canada. NVK hosted a little steak dinner, uh, so we met. But it was a long time ago. It would be, it'd be great to run into him again somewhere in person. Pacific Bitcoin conference is a good place to do that. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, man, you guys, you guys are killing my travel schedule. I was supposed to be like enjoying a little relaxed time <laughs> in like like Bali or Thailand or somewhere. Dude, after a everybody, year. everybody is going to be a Pacific Bitcoin. Everybody. And then after them, I have to fly out to Dubai right after. Oh, jeez. 
Um, yeah, it's good. No, I, I'd love to get to the Tesla story. So whenever you guys are ready, because I'm I'm going to dip out uh, before <laughs> 11. <laughs> All right. We're ready. I think we're ready. We were just waiting for the room to fill up a little bit. Good morning and welcome. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. First on deck, Tesla sells 75% of its Bitcoin position. As of the end of Q2, we have currently, or we have converted approximately 75% of our Bitcoin purchases into fiat currency. Conversions in Q2 added 936 million of cash to our balance sheet. That's important. Uh, let's dig in. Who has some ideas, thoughts? What's going on, Tone? I'll let you go first. Oh, so I know the market sold off on this news, but I think this is super bullish. Uh, because first of all, I'm going to go real quick because I see a hand up from the Bitcoin Magazine handle. I, I, don't, I don't know if you want to jump ahead of me. If you, there's any other news, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, no, it's done. Go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll go after you. All right, cool. So I think this is super bullish. And uh, because first off, they sold it and probably caused that actual dip down to like 17, 18,000. So people like panicking now, but it's too late now, right? This is why, uh, this is the good old saying from Wall Street, buy the rumor, sell the news. Like the time to like panic your Bitcoin sales was if Tesla announced, yeah, we're thinking about selling Bitcoin next quarter. That's when you're like, oh shit, I need to pre-run that. But if they told you they've already done it, like, this is great because it clearly shows that whoever is in charge over there doesn't never actually believed in Bitcoin, which makes total sense because they believe in Dogecoin. And uh, like, what did we really expect for, for, from this? And because uh, I'm also in those financial spaces with George Noel and Three Aces and some of those other guys, they're usually in the evenings. And most of those guys hate Tesla with a passion. I, I don't understand how, how people can hate Tesla. Like, like they hate Tesla more than we hate OneCoin, some of these like traditional financial guys. It's it's really incredible. Like, God forbid you mention Tesla in a George Noble space, and he's a big time traditional money manager, you get kicked out of the space. Like, even we don't do that <laughs> to shit coiners. Like, why 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 do they hate it so much? They just think it's such a bullshit company, and they think Elon Musk is like a giant like scammer, and they they think the whole company is just a bunch of fraud. Meanwhile, every other car is Tesla, and every Tesla owner I meet loves their car. So it's just this like weird, uh, it's just this weird situation. But it does go to, but it does kind of prove their point that Tesla is all about hype, and it's less about what you're doing and more about how it looks. So it's it's just I just find this super fascinating, and to me this is bullish. Like, great, weak hands have uh, given up on Bitcoin. Awesome, they're going to be laughed at. While El Salvador will eventually be proven super right, and Tesla is going to be shown how dumb that move was. Because how the hell are they going to justify buying Bitcoin back at a higher price? <laughs> I have no idea. Like, they're going to do it. Everybody's going to do it. You know, they're all going to have to fucking do it. But they're gonna do it super late. Like, like they're not gonna. Uh, it, it was just, you know, it, it was just another way of Tesla to show how good their books are. Uh, they've been milking the carbon credits well, yeah. uh, for so long. Now they need a new gimmick. I was reading that um, if they had not done it, so the conversion added nine hundred thirty-six oh, million of cash. Yeah, I hear. Can you not hear me? Uh, no. We heard you uh, ask if we hear you. 
Yeah, Which I is only weird. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so it's just, it's just tone. All right, anyway, I'll keep going. So the conversion in Q2 added 936 million of cash to the balance sheet, right? My understanding is that was a cash flow change of 847 million, which if that is correct, then they would have been cash flow negative if they hadn't sold the Bitcoin. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Or, or bought the Bitcoin, right? Or no? Both. But I mean, they took a loss on the sale. Didn't, I guess. Didn't, didn't they say they took there was a gain on the sale? Actually, on some of it, yeah, on some of it. I guess their average price was twenty nine k. Yeah, I was looking into this last night. I think uh, the numbers that I saw it was nine hundred twenty two million cash flow bonus from the sale. The net flow change was eight hundred forty seven million. So if they had not sold the Bitcoin, they would have been negative seventy five million in cash flow. Um, oh, okay. Their average price was about thirty-one five. Their exit price was about twenty-eight or twenty-nine k. So that's like a nine percent down on the sale. Some of it was below that price. So they, you know, if you're, they bought some in the twenty k range, and they bought a bunch in the thirty k range. So averaging it out, they took a nine percent loss uh, overall on the averages. Well, I guess uh, Bitcoin is uh, a liquid asset. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. that's one of the things that I loved yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, he, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that was one of his comments before that we had seen was that, you know, something around the idea that, like, you know, he had sold some back in the day to test liquidity or something like that. I forgot to quote, but but it's it, for anybody else who's watching, if you're a corporation, I mean, this is, you know, the idea. If you've ever orange pilled someone, you know, they're always saying, like, well, what if I want to cash back out? Well, you know, you can see, like, it's liquid. It's it's another asset in play. It's the best asset in play. Right, but so, like, is Tesla, but but is Tesla a hedge fund, or did they actually buy it as a cash as a reserve? Right. So this is the weird part. Like, if this is Tesla's new business model, you know, okay, fine. Then 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 start a hedge fund arm. Like, it's uh, it just seems uh, like defend the position as to why you bought it in the first place. And uh, be confident you, about it, and ever, deal with and deal with you, the loss on the books for a quarter. Have you ever heard about a sailor on this issue? I mean, he, I, I think at some point all large corporations have to have Bitcoin on the balance sheet, right? How do you manage that? I don't know, um, but it's it's got to happen. I, I, I feel next? like he might know. be playing ten D chess, guys. Like I, I I I don't like Musk as much as everyone else, but like I think he may have a few more. Um, Speak for yourself. I think Musk is fantastic. I love Musk. He's one of the he's one of the best humans we have. I think. Agreed. Agreed. And he may he may <clears throat> make some missteps, but I mean he's he's got a lot of stuff to think about. This is obviously <laughs> a controversial say? issue. People are losing their shit. Let's go. Yeah, actually, it should be mentioned that um, the reason we uh, sold uh, a bunch of our Bitcoin holdings was that we were uncertain as to when the uh, COVID uh, lockdowns in China would alleviate. Uh, so it was important for us to maximize our cash position uh, given the uncertainty of the COVID lockdowns in, in China. Um, uh, we are certainly open to uh, increasing our Bitcoin holdings in future. Um, so this should not be taken as some uh, 
uh, verdict on Bitcoin. Uh, it's just that uh, uh, we were concerned about overall liquidity for the company given the COVID shutdowns in China. And we have not sold any of our Dogecoin. <laughs> he had to get that last bit in there about the Dogecoin. I don't know who's next. We got a lot of hands up. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I was basically just going to say what Musk said there. Like, I, they weren't planning on selling their Bitcoin, I don't think. It's just like unfortunate circumstances in the world which led them to you know have less cash on their balance sheet than they had expected or anticipated so they needed to sell some bitcoin to beef it up a little bit um and uh the whole dogecoin thing like there's no way they could sell their dogecoin without crashing it so obviously they didn't sell that shit coin what do they even actually have any dogecoin but, but my, they, they sold like 10 sold, shirts 10 yeah, shirts and 100 yeah. hats for dogecoin so they have a little well bit. so so they could have probably sold that dogecoin without quite crashing the market since it's probably only worth a few hundred dollars but i i think it's interesting to for me to listen to this because they're obviously still i shouldn't say obviously i think they're still developing they're wrapping their heads around what it means to hold bitcoin and what their policies are and, and what everything is but you know if you're if you manage to hold on to more than 25% of your Bitcoin through this uh, through this correction, then you've done better than Tesla in terms of being able to retain your your stack. And whether they did it for the reasons that have been speculated on, or the reasons that they said they did, or for other reasons, it's kind of the fact. The fact or the fact, their stack is down by 75%, and that's gone to others who are interested in holding Bitcoin. So. That's just the that's the change in the picture. This is not something they can do again. I mean, they can sell down seventy five percent of what they have left, but they can't sell down three times as much as they currently own. And so, whatever their logic is, the the biggest impact is is behind us, as Tony was saying. I think that uh, I got a couple comments. One, uh, as far as the trad phase, uh, the trad phase basis, Tone was talking about no Bitcoin, no no politics, and no Tesla. And I think it's because people get so heated about those conversations, and George Noble just can't take like not having collegial kind of conversation in his spaces. I think that's where that comes from. Um, they do hate Bitcoin, and they do hate. Uh, they do hate Tesla. Absolutely. Um, as far as Tesla goes, I'm would be, I'm willing to bet. Matter of fact, I put it out there in a tweet. I'm willing to bet that by, uh, the end of this year, we hear that Tesla has bought Bitcoin again. Well, that's highly dependent on, I don't think on, so on what, I, how, how good their business does. Like if, if business is still shaky over the rest of the year, they're not going to be buying Bitcoin. People who panic sell Bitcoin usually miss an entire bull run. And Tesla is not an exception to this. I think it would be very telling if we could get the inside scoop on SpaceX, because I know SpaceX had a bunch of Bitcoin as well. So um, if they sold their Bitcoin too, then that just shows they have no idea what they're buying. Because SpaceX is a private company, so they have no need to sell Bitcoin for an earnings call. Yeah, I doubt. That's I doubt. Yeah, but you take a you take a loss, right? They took a loss, and then and then uh, and then you buy it back at you know it's it makes sense really if you think about it. Okay, so I guess to me the question is with Musk is does he truly actually think Dogecoin is a good is like better than Bitcoin? 
<laughs> I mean, that's the thing I'm wondering. Like, is he using it as a foil to talk shit, to confuse people, to keep the, you know, to keep people from buying Bitcoin because they know he believes in it so that he can secure a better position? I don't know. Like, if you were a crafty trader, right? You don't, if you're going to be in public and you're trying to accumulate a position, you're not going to tell everybody you're accumulating the position. You're going to distract people if possible, tell them about something else, get the eyes off of the thing that you're trying to accumulate, right? You're not going to freaking be like, yeah. hey, guys, look, I'm buying this thing. You should too. That's hey, that's uh, so stupid. Well, my, my view on that is uh, we, we're, we don't know and we will never know unless we know exactly how much Bitcoin, uh, how much Dogecoin Musk has personally and how much uh, Dogecoin Tesla may have on their books, right? Like, for example, if they have 20% of all the Dogecoin in the world, uh, it's a completely different answer than if they have 20 Dogecoins because it's just like, like, like you, you, you have no idea unless you know the exact amount that they're holding. Yeah, I look at that and I think what's worse, uh, keeping people from buying Bitcoin by trashing Bitcoin or keeping people from buying Bitcoin by putting them over to Dogecoin? Yeah, and in the in the report, he did say that um, this doesn't prevent them from from purchasing Bitcoin in the future. That was one of the things he did say. Austin Hill had a good part, a good bit of this. Uh, he was on Peter McCormick's podcast a couple of months ago. He said he personally interacted with Elon a few times when uh, they were over at PayPal, and uh, his his thesis is Elon's just trolling people with the whole Dogecoin thing. But That's my it, view on it. If it That's is a troll, been my it's view one of the longest well. running trolls, you know, this guy. Well, a guy like, I, I would imagine a guy like Elon would think that's funny. And don't forget, like, it, what started as a joke became something pretty serious pretty fast because people bought into the troll and the price of Dogecoin went from one cent to, I, I don't know, was it as high as 70 cents or something at, at some point? Uh, and, and then back down by 95%. So, he kind of found himself the victim of his own troll because uh, he was concerned about securities <laughs> investigation and stock price manipulation. So, but I never, I don't think he was ever really serious. It was valuable, and and then he made some really uh, kind of, I think, not so smart tweets. But it's not. I don't want to overgeneralize about everything else that the man has accomplished. If you're having too much fun on Twitter and you're the richest man in the world and you're moving the price of some security that was worthless and now is suddenly worth tens of billions of dollars you may have accidentally put your foot in your mouth and and you know he's got one tweet that's been cited many times as having gone nowhere where he claims to be working with dogecoin devs on scaling solutions or something to that effect when of course nothing ever came out yeah well they also he's all he also talked about putting nodes in every single starlink um you know kit or whatever bitcoin notes so i mean he kind of goes back and forth i don't know i i get the feeling that i think elon wishes he could say whatever he wants and and not be judged for it i think he likes the idea of like being out there just saying stuff that yeah he thinks I mean, I is funny see. Yeah, and that and that's actually the one of the biggest problems that these traditional guys that do spaces have with Elon Musk. Uh, they think that he has broken so many security laws by just opening his mouth and no one doing anything about it. Uh, but they also have the same view on 
Kathy Wood and also Michael Saylor. Uh, so so they have the view on these guys that back in the okay, day. Out of curiosity, how, like how, out of curiosity, how how has Michael Saylor or Kathy Wood, according to these dudes, and I don't want to get too bogged down in this. I'm just trying oh, to understand. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not viewpoint. sure. Like it, it's obvious how it applies to Elon Musk as far as yapping his mouth uh, and potentially violating like security laws by talking about his stock or other assets. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it applies to Sailor. I haven't really, like, I, I'm the wrong person to ask, uh, or Kathy Wood. They just talk about their positions too much. So, and that they, they, they get into that like weird zone. Yeah, I don't know if he's trolling or not. I, I just think that the, you know, if you're, if you're a, you know, someone who wields a certain sphere of influence. I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody's responsible for their own money and whatever and their decisions, whatever. You shouldn't go out and buy Doge just because some rich dude said, that, you know, talking about Doge. But I mean, there is a risk in my mind. There is a responsibility on some level. And I think that it's wrong to, you know, if, if he does, if he is trolling and thinks it's funny, then haha, what a lark. But this is like people are getting wrecked with Doge. So, you know, wherever you are on that line. You know, again, voluntary world, whatever, you know, everyone can get wrecked if they want to follow somebody blindly. But the fact remains that people will. You know, there's another thing to think about, too. Um, Tesla's up 7% or whatever it is today. And Elon's got a $44 billion uh, bill coming with, uh, with his purchase of Twitter that uh, I don't think he's going to be able to get out of. Oh, I, I imagine that, that's interesting. That the, the, the Twitter thing is super interesting. Um, I think he'll be able to get out of it because uh, Twitter will have to open up their books and uh, he'll force them to open up their books, see exactly how many fake accounts, see exactly what Twitter has been doing about those fake accounts. And he may counter offer based on that and buy them at like $30 a share, for example. Yeah, the thing with the thing with deals like that is they're only closed when the money is in the bank, as they say. And there's so many yeah. ways to weasel out of these things that you, know, you can just imagine how thick the legal agreements are and how many lawyers everyone has on each side. Honestly, the whole Twitter fiasco, it might have been just a front to dump his Tesla stock at the top and cash out. I don't know, but you know, Tone said, <laughs> Tone said something earlier about, about, you know, are they a company or a corporation or a holding company, whatever, um, hedge fund. And it made me think, you know, do y'all remember what happened to Yahoo? You know, they had invested in Alibaba and like were big time investors. And then when Alibaba went public for like bajillion dollars or whatever that was, Yahoo like changed their whole business. They were like, wait a minute, our, our Alibaba stake is larger than our entire business that we've been doing for like 30 something years. And they basically like sold all that stuff off and they just became like alt ABBA. Yahoo became alt ABBA, a, a holding company for Alibaba stock. I don't know, man. I, I look at what sailor did and I think to myself, if, 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 you know, and this is true on a personal level, on a people level, but it's probably going to be true moving forward on a corporate level as well. If you have a large cash position, how do you protect, if, if, if we're at 9.1% inflation and rising, how do you protect that? 
Yeah, but Sailor's also done the legwork. Like, he's read the Bitcoin standard. He's gone really, really deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, we're t- we're talking past each other right now. What I'm saying is that it's not about a company becoming a hedge fund. It's that everybody's going to have to do it moving forward at some point. Yeah, I guess what um, I'm trying to convey is, but in order to come to that conclusion, you, you first have to really understand what Bitcoin is. And I'm not sure if Musk... Oh, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I don't know. I feel it's a given at this point. We've had, I don't know, was it the... I want to say it was one of the execs from Visa MasterCard over at the WEF. When somebody asked him about Bitcoin adoption, his response was that, um, and I'm paraphrasing it, and please correct me if I've got this wrong, but I think this is what happened, is that he goes, well... The, the basically the old guys at all of these companies don't understand it yet is really what it comes down to. And uh, essentially, as soon as they do, it's just like Ant was talking about this morning with the oil and gas industry. You know what I mean? It's like as soon as as soon as they start figuring it out, like people have this interesting effect on each other. It's it's how all adoption occurs. You know, you were saying, Alex, <coughs> it's a and this other guy was saying that it's all the old guys at these old institutions who don't understand it. And eventually when they do, something will happen. But what ends up happening always is it's not the old guys at the old institutions who understand. It's the young people at the new institutions who start to build up these positions. And then only when it's far too late do the old guys at the old institutions start to wake yeah. up to some of these things. And then they do something completely they don't even because they don't actually understand it. They do something that's inverted. So, in the same way that so many like brick and mortar retail companies tried to launch an e-commerce website that went nowhere, like I think Walmart has finally managed to get their e-commerce offering suitable. But look at the Barnes and Nobles and just all, all of the retailers that went under in the face of Amazon and and struggled tremendously after having created so much value. It it was this old way of thinking that worked for them in a different world. And then when the world changed, they really weren't able to adapt. And, uh, and so I think, what, I think the place to look is not, did some giant ancient pension fund buy Bitcoin? No, they bought Celsius, right? It, like they, you have to look to see who, who is actually getting Bitcoin, who's understanding it. I think Michael Saylor is kind of this really exceptional individual for the reasons that have already been cited. Who has who's had his eyes open and has been just gathering up stake while while nobody else is, uh, but it's not going to be the old guys. And even Elon Musk is is not one of the old guys, right? He's one of the new guys, and he doesn't quite understand it yet. So, Andrew, good morning. Morning. How are you? So, just wanted to. A couple quick comments on uh, Tesla and Bitcoin. Uh, I've been watching some of the news and stuff. I'm a shareholder myself. So actually, I think what uh, Tesla did uh, selling Bitcoin, I think they had to because their factories were shut down. So they had, uh, you know, they're really, when the factories are shut down in like Shanghai, they're really burning through cash. And that's what happened this last quarter. So in order to show Wall Street uh, that they're doing good. They had to sell um, Bitcoin for cash. And if you look at the markets today, uh, the whole market's down, but Tesla's up 
5%, you know. So it shows that whatever he did was the right thing uh, for the shareholders. Uh, so I like that. Uh, so that so, so real, real quick, I think that shows how much traditional uh, stock traders hate Bitcoin. That's true. What do you That's, mean? Oh, because they're like, oh, he sold the Bitcoin, so this is a good thing. I, 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 I don't know, man. I think you're assuming they actually understand what happened there. I, I, I think for a lot of people, all they know is it's positive cash flow numbers instead of negative cash flow numbers. Therefore, good. Yeah, and I, I think Tesla is a pioneer. They're they're trying to show the other companies how to hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet. They're still figuring it out. And I'm pretty sure if there's no shutdowns uh, this uh, quarter uh, due to COVID, you know, the, the factories, they will buy back Bitcoin. And, I, and I'm, as a shareholder, I hope they do. Uh, as a Bitcoiner, I'm, yeah, I'm always disappointed. Uh, Elon Musk uh, shilling the doge. So anyone listening, don't. He's having fun with this. Do not go out and buy doge. He, he can afford to lose millions, billions. On Doge, uh, most people can't. So uh, that part, I, I think uh, his master of coin at Tesla gets it. I think Elon still doesn't get it that well. It's it's a very small part of their corporation, but uh, uh, this is where uh, Bitcoin is. And they, they actually need Bitcoin, you know. Bitcoin doesn't need Tesla. Yeah. I don't want to get too repetitive on the subject. Um, I disagree that they're a pioneer. I think they don't know what the hell they're doing, just like you said. A pioneer is someone who is, well, I guess, to be fair, some of the pioneers didn't in, in the United States didn't know what they were doing either. Like, kind of just packed a whack and went west. They're like crossing their fingers. But a lot of people will prepare for that journey, right? They'll, they'll, they'll study what, what the dangers are. I think Sailor is a better example of a, of a pioneer. I would say sailor sailor is an outlier, right? He is he's holding his way more. That's what that's what pioneers are. They but are no, this outliers. is no, this is he's showing like how uh, a company can hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet uh, to prevent By selling it. No, no, but he hasn't sold all of it. Uh, that was a great point uh, made in your and, spaces last uh, last night. Um, that you know he's showing ninety nine point nine percent of the companies around the world don't hold any Bitcoin. So this is where, I mean, if you're part of the 0.01%, you're a pioneer. And, and they're, they're the risk takers that will go out there and try something new, you know, which is a good thing. And just having this on the headlines every day, anytime Bitcoin's talked about, I think it's a good thing for Bitcoin. Stating the obvious. <laughs> That's why we're talking about it this morning. Absolutely. Neil. Good morning, by the way. Good morning. All I was going to say is, like, if they have to sell their Bitcoin, like, to me, they're overexposed. Like, entities should take be have better risk management than that. Like, why? You, sh you, should acquire yeah. a you should acquire a position you never have to sell. You might have joined us late, joined the conversation late. I think it was explained earlier before that, that the reason that they sold is, is that in China, their no, plants the were shut down. They're burning no, I, through cash. Yeah. No, no, no. I know the reason. I'm saying then they should never have taken the position they did in the first place. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's unpredictable, though, Neil. I it's agree. Not, it's, not real, it's not really unpredictable considering we've been in a, 
you know, a pandemic for two plus years and they acquired the Bitcoin in February of 2021. Yeah, but the know, decision, the, pandemic. The, the, the thing that affected the decision making process was not the Bitcoin, was the, it was the shutdown, right? You could, and what Wicked is saying is, how could you have predicted that China was going to shut this particular area down, which was going to cause your plant to shut down, which was going to cause your cash flow burn to go stupid sideways or negative, whatever. You couldn't predict that. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, then they should have a smaller position in the first place. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I I don't think these things are so unpredictable. Well, they, 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 they could have... They could have borrowed against that Bitcoin at that $20,000 price to shore up some of their cash. That was another option. All right. I, I think we've we've beaten this topic to death. <laughs> Pretty good coverage of it. I'm, I, I think the takeaway, the biggest takeaway for me is that this has proven that a large corporation can move in and out of Bitcoin in the billion dollar US dollar range and it's fine. Like nobody even knew it happened. It's all good. Yeah, that's probably the biggest takeaway is that no one knew. All right, so let's hit a couple of announcements real quick and then we'll move into the next topic. Good morning. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin if you've never been here before. This is a live show on Twitter Spaces that we do Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Pacific to 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. Great place for your morning news. Great place to learn about Bitcoin. Uh, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. It is also a podcast. If you can't catch the live show, you can catch it on Fountain, Spotify, Apple, everywhere that you get your podcast. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin a follow to be notified of when those drop. Uh the Pacific Bitcoin Conference tickets are now on sale. You can go to PacificBitcoin.com. You can use promo code SWAN for 20% off. I believe that's all caps, although the small, um, the smaller caps should work, I think. <clears throat> Try it both ways if it doesn't work. Uh, the biggest Bitcoin-only conference of the year, parties, events, celebrations, sports, no shitcoiners on stage, no shitcoin sponsors. It's going to be a really great time. Um, announcing speakers, etc. as we go right now uh, and and more are being added every day. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Uh, Swan Bitcoin. Swan does a couple of really cool things. Um, if you own a business, you want to put Bitcoin on your balance sheet, Swan can help you do that. Shoot me a DM. You can also shoot Terrence a DM. Yep, he's up here. Uh, to, to learn more about that. If you're an international person, meaning non-US, we take people from all over the world. We um, can accept now different currencies as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, tax loss harvesting. That's where if you're really backwards in US dollar terms on your Bitcoin position, you can sell and rebuy. So we're... And, and the net effect of that is, is it, it, it gives you a... Um, uh, a, 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 a loss that you can claim on the books that rolls forward for years into the future if you choose to use it that way. Um, it's a really good thing. If you want to know more, um, we're doing it for our Swan private clients. You can shoot me or Terrence a DM to learn more about that. Um, right. Let's get back into today's conversation. So it's pretty bizarre to me 
how governments are kind of ratcheting down on stuff. Uh, we got some hands here, Aunt Peter. Um, we'll go with you guys, and then I want to dig into into kind of what's going on there. I don't know who was first. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I'll go real fast just because final my final point from our previous conversation, not to go too long on that. But I just wanted to say there was one other takeaway, like my favorite, most powerful takeaway. So real quick, one, uh, you know, I, I envision Bitcoin a lot like uh, like the famous, well, infamous robot uh, um, Ultron from the Avengers movies. Right. So here's the quick bit on that. Ultron has one special power. You if you if you beat it, the next time you beat it, it fixes that vulnerability. And, and or the next time you fight it, you find that it's fixed that vulnerability. You can't beat it the same way again. Like it, it your, your previous attack has like no power on it, you know. And so I'm not talking about the actual market movement whenever Elon or Tesla did sell that Bitcoin. If it changed it a little bit, I don't know. But I'm talking about just a pure like like, you know, news cycle, the media piece. Like when when they said in 2020 that they that Tesla wasn't going to, you know, keep uh, wasn't going to keep accepting Bitcoin because of the, you know, uh, ESG reasons or whatever. You know, that was like one of the many reasons that that kind of kicked off the, the the bear market. Right. But then now in a similar, you know, similar vein, he's out there saying, you know, well, we sold 75 percent of our of our bag, which sounds again on the media piece like terrible. If you're a holder, you're like, oh, my gosh. But it didn't like really affect it. Like that news happened and we're still banging. Like it's like Ultron has survived this attack, this Elon attack. And now he has no power on that front. <laughs> I love the analogy. All right, Peter. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, CNBC was breaking. CNBC is reporting that Nord Stream has started back up at 40% capacity. I don't think we've heard the end of that story yet. That's a pretty big lever that uh, Russia has in its hands there. All right. Uh, next topic. I saw a thing the other day that apparently... Okay, so this story is kind of evolving, but there are places in China, and I don't know if it's specific to certain places or if it's more widespread, but apparently millions of Chinese could not withdraw money from their bank accounts. Um, and I saw another thing now that they've they've now got tanks in place um, protecting the banks from people who, who can't withdraw their money. Does anybody know anything more about this? I'm curious if anybody has any deeper information. Yeah, I can talk on it a little bit. Um, yeah, it was basically they are – the bank is not allowing its citizens to withdraw exactly what you were saying. Um, we were making the joke yesterday on BM Live that you know they're using the digital yuan. So like while they have tanks outside of this bank, it's kind of more of a – I don't want to call it theater, but you know if you're just moving the – the money around in, in the digital realm, like why do you need tanks outside of a bank? But yeah, apparently people were outside of one of the banks and they were, you know, demanding their money. Um, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, and and Chris, how real is this thing? I mean, do we know how real this is? Is this stage? You just said theater. So I mean, I, I don't know. I don't trust I don't I don't know how to trust any of the news that comes out of China. That's yeah, a I, fair point. That is a very fair point, Peter. I think people are upset about the whole money thing. But yeah, to your point, maybe this is uh, more of a staged uh, PSYOP thing. 
I, I don't know what it would gain uh, in their benefit. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure about that. What it would gain? It's telling it's telling their population you want to you want to try to uh, make a make a withdrawal. Well, we've got tanks to stop you from doing that. Ah, oh, man, I would think it would have the opposite effect on people. Like it's like this is the kind of thing that I think is driving people into Bitcoin, really globally. Like, why would you like if you have an alternative that you can just you know put on your phone or whatever? Why would why would people? Stay in same, a system. It's the, Alex, it's the same with George Noble and Three Aces and those guys in that TradFi space. They all recognize the debasement. They all recognize the problem. They all are talking about, you know, that the that this big bubble is popping, this crash is coming, um, that this insane leverage in all aspects of the market. They're talking about it all. What they refuse to do is to recognize that Bitcoin is uh, the solution to this because they're all looking around. They're like, well, that's the trillion dollar question. Where do we put our value? Where do we store our value? <laughs> Somebody should invent some something that that is um, basically unstoppable, completely distributed on, on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of nodes in and in space. Um, it allows people to send any amount of value anywhere in the world instantly. Um, at the speed of light, at near zero cost, can't be stopped by anybody, doesn't need anybody's permission. There's no KYC to become part of it. Like anybody can do this thing. Like somebody should invent something like that. Damn it. Town. And do it right before the whole world goes to shit. <laughs> yeah, re re real quick. I'm going to comment on this and I'm, then I'm going to have to get going. So uh, Peter Schiff has the same thing. If anyone watched that debate that I had with Peter Schiff, I literally explained to him how Bitcoin is censorship resistant, uh, you know, uh, unconfiscatable censorship resistant value transfer. And he literally repeated everything I said and then said, I don't care about that. Meanwhile, he just had his bank shut down. Right. So it, it was yeah. just like funny to listen to. Uh, That's but, ironic uh, as shit. I don't <laughs> care about that. It's not important. Uh, but uh, and, and someone like literally quoted him and tweeted it out. That was great. And uh, but on the on the China front, uh, I think China has a lot to gain from this. I in a in a game of three D chess, uh, China is playing an, an incredible move. Uh, someone mentioned earlier, but most of the yuan is digital, and that is true. But an incident like this, uh, kind of. It allows China that once they squash this, it's like they almost created this themselves in order to show how dangerous people are and how dangerous it is to have banks, like bank buildings. And this is their way of eliminating paper yuan. Because once there is no more paper currency and all you have is digital currency, you cannot have a bank run. You will never see mm. these pictures again. This is their way of legitimizing the need for only a digital currency. If there is no nothing to withdraw from That's a bank, there's no physical structure of a bank. It's all digital tied into their credit score system. Okay, so, but you say there there cannot be a bank run, but the, but they can move into Bitcoin. It can um, be a digital bank run. That would be, be the very, digital, that would be would the digital be, version of a physical bank run is people moving into Bitcoin. It would be very challenging. Like, this is the thing. Or like, uh, us as Bitcoiners need to somehow delay the movement of a lot of these countries moving into a full uh, digital 
uh, currency. Because once the yuan is fully digital and there is no paper yuan, it becomes very difficult for the Chinese to get into Bitcoin. They either have to mine it or they have to sell something for it. And uh, because you won't be able to move your digital yuan into Bitcoin, they won't, the system will not let you. Okay, here's an interesting develop. Go ahead, Tomer. There's another development yeah. that I want to talk. About. I just want to say quick, like a bank run is when you go to the bank and they don't give you your money because they because they don't have it or some other reason. A CBDC is is like a perpetual simulated bank run situation to to the degree that at any at any point in time they could say you can't have your money. We've we've sealed it off, and or you can't have it for this reason. You can't have it for that reason. Like Tomer, right but, down but, at the but transaction true. level. True, but there, there's not going to be a building to go, you know, rally in front of. Yeah. Wait, oh, so I think I think what ends up happening, it, the more we see this kind of thing, it, it is it's the same as just like today. People don't really go and demonstrate for most things. They they change their um, avatar on Twitter or Facebook, and it's it's kind of it'll be the yep, same they, thing. They, they got a flag. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah so digital. So digital bank runs is the way bank runs are going to happen moving forward. It'll be digital. Yeah, well, it'll be digital. Like the bank runs occur because the bank has loaned out more money, right? And that's not going to be the well. Bank the bank runs occur when people see. Here's the thing: it's a a bank run is a psychological event. It's it's not like based upon um, numbers. It's it's a psychological thing. People are fine uh, keeping their money in the bank as long as people think the money is okay in the bank. It's the moment that people think that the bank doesn't have their money that they try to go get it. That's what, what has caused every bank run in the history of man. Right. Right. So, so digitally speaking, it's when the banks start to make you think that you might not be able to get it that you want to start doing things with it. And okay. Okay. So he buy. Let, let me just yeah. Quick it'll cause people to buy the things that they're allowed to buy and use those things as money in barter, essentially, with one another. Because let's just say, I'll make a silly example. They say that you can't buy potatoes because potatoes are bad for the environment. So, and you want potatoes, but you can't buy corn. So, you'll buy corn with your CBDC and you'll trade it to someone who has potatoes for it, creating creating this black market. Now, potatoes exactly. and corn are great examples, but it, it's like this is exactly what causes the run, right? People, when people don't think they can get at their money for particular reasons. Then they yeah. start to get at their money for no particular reason, right? That's, yeah, that's and, and, the bank. And, and then, just like you said, like governments don't stop the activity; it just goes underground, right? It's always been this way. I don't, yes. I don't see any reason that, that 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 would change. I think it would be an accelerant, actually. So here's the thing: this just came out. Wall Street Silver is tweeting. I don't know the veracity of this, but this is someone's opinion that I think is interesting. Uh, he goes, "This is." He's talking about the tanks. Uh, on the streets. He, he goes, this is because the Henan branch of the Bank of China has declared that people's savings in their branch are now investment products and can't be withdrawn. So now either, either this is just one bank losing its shit, which I don't think is true because most things of this nature occur as a top-down push from the government. Maybe this is a test to see if they can get away with converting all savings into investment products. Sounds likely. Like Ch China has been testing what they can do to their population for the last two years, starting with the whole COVID 100%. stuff. It's 100%. been, and uh, 
Uh, they've also been testing the world how much we're going to believe in like people smoking a cigarette, falling down like they're dead and continuing to smoke a cigarette. And people bought that <laughs> shit hook, line, and sinker. Oh, we live in interesting times for sure. We were talking about the whole thing about driving uh, countries into CBDCs. Like, it's not happening at the same speed all around the world. You know, there's been discussions about it, for example, in the United States. There Obviously, there's been discussions about it. But some of the leading people from the Fed have basically said, yeah, that's it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. We probably, if we, from the moment we choose to pursue it, it's going to take a couple of years of study and then pro so so two years maybe of of studying it how to do it and then three years to actually build it you're talking a five year program conducted by government employees man what could possibly know. go wrong and then also wouldn't cbdc's completely crush the us uh, commercial banking system wouldn't that wipe out like an entire well that is that literally is the problem like uh, Rogoff was just talking about this, I think if, if I don't have that mistaken, but but yeah, exactly that. No, like no, if, the, if, the answer is yes. Uh, I agree with you, Alex. It's uh, uh, always been saying it for five years. There's a, there's two reasons for the governments to go to well, uh, two main reasons for the governments to go to CBTCs. Uh, one of them is uh, they get um, full like control, right? They get to uh, control. Uh, taxes, they think everyone's a tax evader, they get to set any monetary policy, they eliminate bank runs because there are no more ATM machines. But the, And so it's like a full control of how people use the money. But the second aspect of it is removing money creation from the private sector. Uh, so the one of the main reasons why the founding fathers of the U.S. did not want the central bank is because they believed in capitalism and they wanted private banks to have control of the money and not the, the government have control of the money. They borderline succeeded. The government still has a lot of control of the money, but most money creation prior to all of this insane QE in the last decade uh, since 2009 has been done by the private banks and that's pretty much gone. So they want to basically eliminate the private banking. They want um, also be full control of money creation. Uh, as much as we all hate fractional reserve by the banks, it's still 10 times better than fractional reserve by the government. Well, at the end of the day, do you want to be 100% controlled by the government? And I think the clear answer to that is no. Like what human being is going to want to do? I'm, okay, maybe there's some slice of the population that, that's, that just loves being controlled, right? Maybe they'll go for it. Maybe, you know, it's all the govern me harder daddy people. Like, you know, like... Government's good. Like, we love this. Please govern me. Like, those people might go, but I think everybody else is incentivized to go the opposite direction. Here's a, okay, here's an interesting thing. Again, back to the, you know, U.S. getting involved in CBDCs. The U.S. has been missing from the table on CBDC discussions, according to the Atlantic Council Director John Lipsky, joined Coindesk's TV's first mover discuss advancement of central bank digital currencies, um, what else? He told Coindesk that of the 105 countries exploring implementing a CBDC, 50 are serious about it, meaning they're in development, pilot or launch. 
beyond the research stage. Um, but the U.S. just isn't doing it. U.S. can't do it. Uh, U.S. is going to be the last, mo- like the last developed country to go CBDC. They can't do it. They're the world reserve currency, and those paper dollars are ridiculously important. Like U.S. can't even. Do you ever get one of those like old bills with like a tiny little circle with Benjamin? It's probably from like the nineties or something. And you're like, shit, what the hell is this? This old dollar, like hundred dollar bill. Um, you kind of want to get rid of it as fast as possible because you're scared that one day it won't work, but it will work. Uh, the U S can't even cancel its currency. Like the UK does it. Every country does it like, Hey, turn in these bills by so-and-so day. And we give you credit in your bank or we give you a new bill india did it recently the u.s can't do it uh you can bring a hundred hundred year old uh paper bill and it's not only is it worth its face value it's probably worth way more because it still sets back by silver uh there's just too many paper bills all around the world and the u.s cannot cancel those they will literally like half the world's going to implode so the U.S. ain't going to know CBDC anytime soon. All they can do is yap about it. And that's great because that allows uh, Bitcoin to pretty much get further entrenched into the system. Yeah, and, and it gives more time for actual U.S. legislators to become orange-pilled. The more U.S. legislators that own Bitcoin, who understand Bitcoin, even vaguely, the better. All right, guys, I got to run. It was awesome. Uh, We'll try to do it again tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of the space. Later, brother. I'm kind of not getting why we can't have both CBDCs and physical cash at the same time for a while. It probably will be for a while. Okay. That, that, that's a great topic, actually, but that could actually be two different currencies with two different price points, right? It's the same reason they, uh, the U.S. government at one point wanted to trace uh, like $100 bills at every like store for cocaine residue. And then if it has too much cocaine residue on it, they wouldn't accept it. Uh, it would create <laughs> you know, like two different values for a $100 bill. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they can't do it. But, like Again, that, then the U.S. economy would actually implode. <laughs> It's the cocaine residue standard. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but so so countries are starting to figure out. I I think we're in the and then they fight you stage. I really do. Um, here's a couple other headlines. Nigerians using naira to buy U.S. dollars will be arrested. That's illegal. We will conduct investigations in. We will have proof and you will not be able to conduct transactions in any Nigerian bank. We will place a post-node debit on the defaulting customer's account. It's a very injurious tool to stop you from conducting illegal flows, domestic or foreign. So they're warning people that like, if you're in Bitcoin and we catch you, we're going to basically lock you out of the banking system, which is like shooting themselves in the face, in my opinion. But it, it's what, I guess, struggling tyrants do when they don't know what else to do because their central bank has also come out and said that the evolution of fintechs, cryptocurrencies, digital payments, artificial intelligence, and machine learning have changed the functioning of the financial and banking landscape. 
both globally and domestically. There is a urgent call to rethink financial system regulation, supervision, and monetary policy implementation. They're definitely on the back foot. They're trying to figure out how to deal with this. It's definitely the then they fight you stage. I'm going to leave it with this last thing, and then we'll go to Peter. The World Economic Forum is now hiring a blockchain and cryptocurrency lead. Sir, we are over the target. So I just have a public service announcement. If a Nigerian prince contacts you asking you for Bitcoin, it's probably a scam and he's probably they're probably not a prince. Hey, uh, to backtrack to this whole China stuff, um, I, I have a feeling these creepos at the World Economic Forum are just like sitting in a corner with a pen and paper taking notes about everything China's getting away with and, you know, doing to their citizens. And they'll probably slowly try to introduce that to countries under their sphere of influence. Yeah, for sure. These, I mean, that's what we were saying before is, is that that's, if that's what they're doing, if they're claiming that your deposits are no longer deposits of money, they're now investment products, I think that's a test, right? They're going to see how it works and they're going to try to roll that out. Yeah, absolutely. And look at the stuff going on in the Netherlands. Like, um, they're, they're trying to buy out these farmers' land. It's, it's some really, like, dystopian, creepy shit the World Economic Forum's trying to pull off right now. Yeah, I didn't fully understand the thing with the farmers in the Netherlands, but then I saw this uh, this article on Zero Hedge. Um, apparently, okay, here's the title. Dutch farmers are preparing to fight the government overreach by gaining financial freedom with Bitcoin. Um, and then it goes on to explain what was happening there. Inspired by the Canadian freedom truckers, farmers from Italy, Germany, around the world are also rebelling against government overreach uh, and supporting the Dutch populist movement to back their rights. So apparently back in June, the Dutch government issued a plan laying out that they could no longer do, well, they had to reduce their nitrogen emissions. Basically, they're saying, you guys have to cut your nitrogen emissions by 70% and that it's an unavoidable transition. You must do this. So, I mean, the net effect of that is, is that farmers that who have to comply with that are basically out of business. They're basically out of business. And then the government's like, sell us your land. So, I mean, if this is not obvious to people what's going on here, I don't even know what to say about that. That's like, what the hell? Yeah, and then, you know, take it a uh, step further into the analysis these are all this uh, ESG narratives, all these ESG protocols that are being pushed by the World Economic Forum. Look what happened to Sri Lanka. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, we've been hearing about it nonstop. Like, you know, cow farts are bad. Human, human farts are bad. Like, stop using energy. Live in the pods. Eat the bugs. Like, you can't drive anywhere. Like, all of it. It's all connected. No more Chipotle. Oh, I think as no. a country. Hell no. The United States has to completely push back against the CSG bullshit and strive for complete and utter energy independence. Because if if we don't, if we follow these protocols being set up by these uh, socialists over at the World Economic Forum, that'll be like the demise of our country. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm glad to see two things. One that the the U.S. is not embracing the CBDC thing. Um, that's one. 
And and I agree with you, you're right. But I mean, that's like a pendulum that I feel like has swung out to one side really hard. And the backlash is so strong that uh, I think it's going to go the other way really hard in the next couple of years. And th that's one aspect I can really appreciate about the United States. It's so decentralized compared to these other countries. Whereas uh, if certain states did want to follow the ESG bullshit, other states would just be like, nah, we're good. We're not going to follow any of this. Yeah. I mean, and it's getting to the point where states' rights are being asserted on almost every issue. And there's lawsuits. AGs are filing lawsuits against the federal government and the Biden administration on almost every issue. That's a, that a, that's a federal overreach of authority. And um, yeah, it's, we live in interesting times for sure. All right. We are in hour two of Cafe Bitcoin this morning. I want to welcome up Marina Spindler. Good morning, Marina. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. Be back. Been uh, looking forward to this discussion. Um, Marina, I, I don't I don't know how to say it properly. Do you want to say it? Uh, you guys are with uh, 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 an organization that is doing some really cool stuff down in El Salvador. If I have that right? Yes, exactly. It's called Toro Goes Dev. And Toro Goes is the national bird of El Salvador. Uh, it dies in captivity, which is why we chose it, because it has the same values of Bitcoin of freedom. And Dev, obviously, because it is a job training program for developers who, are, who already code, but would like to switch jobs. And obviously, that is a really important factor in a country that has changed the law so dramatically and intelligently, hopefully. Uh, and we want to make sure that uh, the people are also getting jobs in the industry, especially with so many companies that are down there. Clearly, the talent uh, gap is uh, an important factor that we need to attend to. And this program is the goal is to do exactly that. Cool. Like the name, Toto Goes, the bird that dies in captivity. I think that's it's that beautiful. Cool, right? <laughs> Poetic, huh? Wow, nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So, do you, would you tell us about your story, your background, your origin with Bitcoin, and um, bring us up to where we are today? And we can dig in more about what Tortagos is doing down there. Uh, sure. Well, actually, my first foray into Bitcoin was way back in 2014. I used to run uh, in, an international organization of CEOs from South America and Latin America, and uh, it, very similar to World Economic Forum, but specific to the Americas. And back then we had really great people from Argentina and Venezuela who told us, Bitcoin, 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 you have to present this at the conference. And indeed we did way back in 2014, which is pretty exciting if you think about uh, having presented Bitcoin so early on at this uh, level and at this type of stage. Uh, so that was my first introduction to Bitcoin, but I studied public policy, so I never really thought it was for me. Uh, then in 2017, I studied my master's at NYU, and through work, I learned about Bitcoin and blockchain and understood immutability, transparency, uh, double spend, understood all the, all the things that made Bitcoin the unique, uh, <laughs> a, I guess, um, 
revolution that it is. And that's when I never looked back and I started consulting in the space. Uh, then just recently, and this is where Torogos came to life, I was working with Chaincode Labs, working with them to think of ways to involve more developers from emerging markets. And I was supporting their efforts with Kala. Everybody knows what an amazing job and work they're doing in Africa. And uh, the goal was to also create uh, local homegrown initiatives in other countries and regions. And uh, so we, um, my task was just to talk to a bunch of people all over the world, all the Bitcoin Afghanistan, Bitcoin Cuba, Bitcoin Mozambique, etc. And among those, uh, we found really interesting projects that are flourishing uh, in Cuba, Brazil with Vintium. And uh, in El Salvador, it was clear we needed to do something given the law, given that now every company is a Bitcoin company. So I spoke with colleagues that are were Bitcoiners before the law, and a couple are here already, uh, Lorena and Salim. Uh, they have been in the space way before the law, so they had the local legitimacy to uh, build something like this. And so we spoke. Uh, over Zoom, over all the things that you do in this space. And that was how uh, we started. And that's how we decided to launch something very similar to the Chain Code Labs uh, methodology. And with the idea of the job training that Kala inspired us to uh, do. And that started in June. So we started with 134 applicants of which we accepted 84. And that was clear and amazing proof that there is proof of talent. So that was the first goal. That is so cool. Um, it's interesting to see this kind of thing because it's it's obviously preparing um, El Salvador for the future, right? And there's so many countries that are just so far behind the curve on this. Like it's really interesting to me to see these kind of programs popping up. Um, like, what is the long-term goal here? Like, what's the objective? Sure. So the second part of this is there's going to be, you know, we're following, again, the Chainco methodology, which is open source and completely available for anybody who wants to follow it. Uh, but we're trying to make sure that we have mentors who speak Spanish and our team speaks Spanish so that we, uh, our students feel smart in their own language. And obviously, they still need English. But the goal was just to keep them comfortable in the language. And the second goal of this was proof of work, right? Um, we needed to prove that uh, these, these developers really wanted to learn about Bitcoin and Lightning. So the first part is mastering Bitcoin. There's a lot of readings. It's about a month and a half program, which in fact ends on Thursday. So we're very excited that that first uh, cohort has uh, almost finished the program. And we have basic readings on Tuesdays, and then we do a learning by doing on Thursdays with mentors that are top notch, including Pablo, who's here, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and uh, several others who have dedicated their time and and efforts to teach and uh, and share their learnings with the with the Torogos Dev developers in El Salvador, and then we will be passing on to Mastering Lightning, which also includes a lot of readings and mentorship. But the goal itself would be a fellowship that potentially would start in November 
And so let's say we currently have 60 students in the program, and we hope that in, in Lightning, since Lightning is so popular in Latin America, we may have even more students. But then from that, those two programs, we would then select about 10 to 20 students that would go through a formal fellowship. And that would be like where we would hopefully place them with companies that are local or international and try to match the company needs to the student skill set. And so that would be way more targeted because it's a smaller cohort, but it's already people that have shown proof of work, i.e. they really want this and they want to switch careers, or maybe they work at a bank and they want to stay in their company, but the company requires that they uh, stay involved. And so we have a few students here that have participated in the program and hopefully they feel uh, and, and inspired to share a bit about their experience. And also my colleagues, I did uh, share with you also some of the statistics of the students. So you see how diverse it has been, you know, about 50% have really strong English, 50% are employed, uh, et cetera. So those are really interesting statistics that I think are important for a program like this to succeed and to have the support of uh, groups like like Swan and others that would want to support this program in the future. That's super fantastic. I'm going to let Peter ans- uh, ask his question. And then Marina, if you have people that are all involved in the organization or our students that want to share their experience, that really cool, cool to hear from them as well. Go ahead, Peter. So you mentioned that this course was uh, open source, and you also mentioned that there was um, a lot of readings. I'm curious to know um, if those readings are in Spanish, because one of the things that I've heard from the Spanish community um, in regards to to Bitcoin is the lack of resources that are actually in Spanish. So this program is a lot of the chain code uh, readings specifically. So most, a lot of them obviously are in English. But you would be surprised. They will Google translate it and then share it with each other and just do what they need to do. Uh, We still need an editor to go through those translations. Uh, But the goal is potentially that for next year we can do that, the translation. My colleagues, uh, Dulce and the people that are doing La Libreria de, de Satoshi, they have been working on several translations. So I'm sure that together in the community we will soon have many of these resources in Spanish, um, but we are aware that 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 is key. I mean, that's why several of our mentors are also Spanish speakers. Hello, everyone. My name is Christian Parada. I want to share my experience that in the last six weeks of capacitation to Torgo's Dev, I have a training with the Bitcoin Educational Initiative in my country in El Salvador. Before starting the training, I have some candidly about Bitcoin in general. Uh, that is a const, 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 crypto constraints. I have an equivalent uh, in dollars to your United States. And that uh, is unit uh, Satoshis. And good hat uh, could buy Bitcoin Satoshis. I to have them I wallet. And that in my country, I could buy with them in some establishment, in some exchanging on the internet. When I was able to sit up and start with the weekly readings, validate question about the readings, 
meet with my partner to this discussion, the question, and receive this conference by mentors dedicated to development of Bitcoin, Bitcoin Core and dedicated to give of the technical canopy, I began to discover the potential of Bitcoin. I not only see I did call current crypto constituency, but I something for more important. Can only the fundamental concept to Bitcoin from can only what Lightning Network, can of how to identify the node, the process of how to create a digital signature that is a public key and a private key. Cannot win about the mempool, cannot win about the security and communication protocols, about the proof of work to validate and translation, among all the concepts and tools and how they work. This has allowed me now not only to understand this about to want to put in the, into practice, cannot win how to see of my own note on how to make transition to the how to connect to the blockchain uh, to Lightning Network to Tenel. I can try to build uh, tools and create my wallet and make income and outwing transition and validate them. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity um, and thankful Torogos Dev and his organizers, mentors and partners for uh, this Canopy. Hello awesome. everyone. Hello everyone. Uh, I want to share my experience uh, in Torogos Devs. I am a student and so my name, my name is Isaac and, and first of all, First of all, uh, I would like to thank everyone who makes all this possible uh, to our Bitcoin community in Latin America uh, and here in El Salvador, uh, especially to Salim, Ishikawa, and Marina. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if if they are with us today. We are here. Um, we're here, Lorena too. But thanks, Maria. Thanks. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, as a student and, and developer, uh, I may say that it was an intensive course uh, because today, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, most information uh, is in English. Uh, and you, know, you don't have a clear direction of, of where to start. Uh, I mean, um, the technical information of Bitcoins, uh, I, I had to read a lot of information and it was difficult to compress all only in in a few hours per week. Uh, before before I enter in the course, uh, I, I, I already knew Bitcoin, but, but uh, I was a skeptic with this topic because as a developer, I need to know about how Bitcoin, how Bitcoin was built uh, and uh, how, how it's developed and everything and everything related to that. Uh, uh, I always wondered why some people have so much faith in Bitcoin ecosystem, but but during the course uh, we learning about the blockchain, uh, transaction processing, block propagation, about SegWit, uh, consensus roles, P2P networks, wallet, cryptography, signatures, and Bitcoin Core wasn't an exception. Uh, <clears throat> 
Uh, another thing that is important to say is readings uh, weren't just an overview about it. Uh, they were very technical. Uh, moreover, every week uh, uh, we have a meeting with a mentor who, had, who has more experience uh, to, help, to help answer questions or talking about the main week topic. Uh, sometimes we start at, at 9 p.m. Uh, until almost midnight, literally. Uh, it, was, it, it was an intense course because uh, it was only six weeks. Well, um, after the course, I feel more confident to talking about Bitcoin and being able to answer most of the technical questions that exist around it. And that's it. It's a summary of my experience. Very grateful for the opportunity. Gracias, awesome. Wait, I have a question for them, uh, possible. Uh, do you think you could have learned this outside? Like, what do you think made you sign up? And do you see a difference? between having taken the course versus if you had tried to learn on your own? Yeah, 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 it's, 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 a great, it's a big difference because you don't have uh, where where find information and internet. Um, you know, you don't have a clear direction for, for where you start, I mean, uh, all of Bitcoin information and internet uh, is about the overview bit. If you want to find some technical information about how Bitcoin was was developed, uh, you don't have a clear direction to, to, to learn about it. All right, that's really great. Um, I'm going to open it, it up. From them, them. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Like, uh, it, it's really neat to see. Um, we'll, we'll open it up for questions. If anybody in the panel has questions for Marina or, yeah. or. Yeah. And Lorena and Salim are here. So if they would like to add like why they wanted to join and what makes this different for them, because this is all volunteer. We are completely committed to this program. Uh, and so we would love to hear from them too, if they can. And on a side note, when you have a moment, I'd like to share a little bit about the program with Jimmy and what we've been doing to try to collaborate as well. For sure, for sure. If you have people that are here, Marina, in, in the audience that need to come up, have them request. Salim, Lorena. <laughs> yep, have them request to come up because we can't see everybody uh, in, the, in the room. There's a ton of people. There's like almost 400 people and we can't see everybody. That's good news, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, go ahead, Marina. Call on who you like from your group. Uh, Lorena and Salim, if they can come to the microphone, that'd be great. I'm trying to bring up Salim. He's, uh, it's a little uh, tricky on the spaces. Sometimes it's a little finicky. Um, so, guys, on the bottom left, there's a request button. I would uh, love to bring you up and we get that rolling. But... While we're waiting on them, uh, for the for the students, um, what was the, like the most challenge? Because I've tried to dig into those books, uh, mastering Bitcoin and and uh, things like that. I I found them extremely uh, t 
tough, you know. So what I, I would have loved to have a teacher um, to kind of help me with uh, with those things. So what what were some of the most challenging uh, parts in that book? Um, I guess what what are some tips that you guys would give to someone who's trying to to I guess learn about Bitcoin Core and how to code? Marina, I think he was directing that question towards you. Uh, yeah, I think it's the students, right? Uh, I think uh, Salim is telling me that he can't go in because it only allows 10 speakers, I think. Um, no. No, yeah, it's it's, it's 12. Um, yeah. 13, actually, oh. when we have two co-hosts. Okay, so they're saying they can't. Connecting. Oh, good. Great. Well, uh, Isaac or... Also, uh, it's they have to do it on, on, on the app. Twitter oh, yeah, Spaces app. If you try to do it through a website, either on your phone or on your computer, it's not going to work. Yeah, it has to be through the phone, right? The app. To be a speaker. I mean, anybody can listen on any device, but if you want to be a speaker, you have to be on your on your phone, on the app. Okay, maybe. Marcus, go ahead. I, what I would suggest, Marino, is let's start fielding questions while these guys work out their Sounds technical great. issues. Yep. Yo, so when it comes to uh, oh, long time, I guess I would say short time Bitcoiner, 2016, 2015 entry. Um, ben and Sensor Space haven't gotten out. for When it comes to Bitcoin development, um, I've been kind of working on it for uh, turning my business into more of like a Bitcoin standard business. Bitcoin.dev helps. Um, Bitcoin.resources, I'll try to put it in the nest. Um, all of these Bitcoin resources help me with uh, understanding how to integrate like Lightning. Um, if I need Liquid on my platform, if I'm really um, there to expand on that, there's a whole bunch of Bitcoin.dev resources, uh, pages you can follow uh, when it comes to understanding Bitcoin Core and how to um, implement it as a on the business level. Uh, I don't know if I can put it up in the nest for you guys, but... Um, yeah, did you have a question for Marina and her crew? This is they're the featured guests today, so we're trying to focus on that. Yeah, um, to segue in. Uh, so when it comes to uh, Bitcoin Lightning and strictly that type of development, not necessarily core development, uh, how could I go about uh, making it? Uh, I would say a, a peer friendly or onboarding friendly when it comes to uh, onboarding new members to understanding Lightning. Um, and the differences, the differentiation between uh, Bitcoin Core and Lightning specifically, if we can go into that. I'm sorry. I think that was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Salim is there in case. Yeah, this guy was asking you a question. I don't uh, know if you heard it. No, I'm sorry. Can can he repeat it? Yeah. Can we go into the uh, core differences between um, implementing Bitcoin Core onto like uh, a company, like uh, using that as a more of like an onboarding technique slash uh, payment feature for a business? Um, can we go into that uh, versus using Lightning um, as like an onboarding feature slash payment feature for business? I will defer to Salim here because I am a biz dev and public policy expert. I am not a dev. 
So I want to make sure that my colleagues get a chance to answer your question. I believe we have Salim on the stage as well. Salim, are you uh, you here? Are you able to speak? Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Salim. Uh, for trying to understand the question of Marcus, uh, the big difference between using Bitcoin Core uh, with Lightning on business is uh, Lightning is uh, faster and cheaper to uh, get transactions on the net. So if you are a businessman and you try to sell some something with uh, with the Bitcoin Core. Uh, you need to wait until the confirmation of each transaction. But in Lightning, you don't need to wait uh, too much, just seconds. And you can see the payment uh, credit in your balance, in your wallet. So Lightning and, and Bitcoin Core, uh, both works with Bitcoin. So the transactions will be secure, but get more time uh, one between the other. I don't know if it's... Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty clear. Um, but you're spe specifically in that answer, there's a difference between um, Lightning as a wallet and Lightning as a, an, a, an account. Um, is that what it sounds like? Yeah, Lightning as a wallet uh, and Lightning as a account. Well, uh, let me tell you, I work with Bitcoin Beach Wallet and we are trying to get uh, this difference between the wa uh, wallet for users and account for merchants. So you can get different uh, features for for a merchant to work with a Lightning account, so you can control different uh, play, uh, points to sale or uh, waiters if you are getting in a restaurant. So you can get more control and faster control with the uh, account with Lightning. In and always transaction with Bitcoin. Okay, perfect. That was my question. Thank you, guys. Wait, Salim, can you tell them what, 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 why you're in the program and why you think it's so important for El Salvador? Why you joined the organizer team? Okay, uh, for a start, I want to. To share, I work with in Hope House and Bitcoin Beach project in El Salvador since the beginning of the use uh, of Bitcoin, like uh, money of daily use in El Sante. Not legal tender yet, it's about three years ago. So we can uh, share the experience with the people of El Sante. And then we can realize uh, how this can change the way of life of a lot of people here. 
but for my part, I I see the future. Uh, <clears throat> more companies will be come to El Salvador or or El Sonte and start to reach uh, some people who work with uh, technical companies and start to think about how to teach these people because uh, there is uh, communities uh, far away of the big cities so they don't have access to just to uh, something more technological so uh, start to uh, teaching uh, different uh, groups here and then we are talking with uh, another people who make this bigger and Marina someday uh, come to me with the idea to create this program uh, open for all the people in El Salvador and we start uh, to talk who make this possible and they then uh, Ishi and Lorena uh, join us to to create Torogas Dev focusing uh, in getting this uh, information, this uh, formation for the students for free and make more developers in El Salvador so the companies can uh, uh, contract them and and for them get more possibilities to scale in Bitcoin uh, developing and create more and more and more people know uh, about Bitcoin. So we start to see, see uh, per, uh, to search, sorry, uh, for people with some skills in programming and English because we don't have too much material in Spanish and start this program. And for me, is what, uh, this is a big success because now we are finished with more than more than the people we we expect to finish the course. So much people is getting is getting skills for development. And they yes. are still active. We had about 80 uh, that started and we're about 50 right now. So yes, there's been attrition, which we expected in the proof of work, but it's happening uh, thanks to mentors like Bruno, Francisco, Hannah, Josie, Jordi, and Pablo. They have made a huge difference in the experience. And again, on Thursday, we're closing with presentations by three of our students, for example. And that's how we're going to close the course. And we will start lightning in September. So hopefully we can get the word out so that a new, um, many more people can join the next course. When is, uh, when is the next course? We expect to start in September. We don't have a specific date, but it would be the mastering lightning course uh, following the same methodology. Was this uh, was this product? Uh, excuse me. Was this um, uh, publicly funded, or or was it privately funded? And also, um, how do you see um, this expanding potentially to to other countries in Central America, or is that not part of the plan? 
So thank you for the question. Uh, we spoke with Chaincode Labs and several other, like our Kala colleagues, and they were very, uh, uh, thankfully, very transparent, telling us, look, this is still proof of concept. You need to prove that there is, uh, that the program has been successful, that the students are learning before you can ask for money or do fundraising formally. So we have been very careful. Everything we're doing right now is totally volunteer. Um, so thank you, Lorena. Thank you, Salim, for all the hard work. Uh, and for sure, once we know uh, like what that fellowship would look like that would be happening in November, we will definitely have a wallet for you guys. Hopefully you can send us some sats. And we're going to try to follow the water.org uh, um, methodology, where if it's an institution, we use some of those funds to support the program. But if it's an individual donation, it goes directly for the student scholarship so that we really make sure that uh, individuals are incentivized to send uh, support and give us the love. And also, just so you know, at Adopting Bitcoin, I will be there. And I will be presenting Torogos uh, to it at the conference. So it's very exciting to be uh, sharing some of our learnings, the good, the bad, like how to get people back on track. We did have some moments where uh, students would not do the homework and then the, the mentor conversation was slower. So Salim was very quick and he set up some quizzes to try to make sure that people were uh, on their toes and not getting too... Um, uh, you know, comfortable. And so that's how we've also made sure that uh, that we continue the very high engagement that we've had. And by the way, we had uh, four females that are in the program. They're doing really great. So that's also a really important factor of the group. And we also had Hannah Rosenberg, who was such an incredible mentor for the team. So we are trying to make sure that we're as inclusive and thoughtful and relevant to the local community. And again, that it is locally driven and that we have like, as you know, there's the Mi Primer Bitcoin who are doing fabulous things. And obviously Bitcoin Beach, uh, Michael was so kind to do his first spaces for us to launch. And that made a huge difference in how people learned about the program. And regarding your question about expansion, you know, El Salvador is currently the only country that has changed laws. So our focus is definitely El Salvador. We have amazing, amazing colleagues who are doing programs in Spanish already in Latin America. So there's no uh, current need to compete or change what we're doing. The goal is to like get people jobs in El Salvador because we cannot expect this not to be polarized if all we're doing is downloading wallets. Right. We really need to make sure that people understand the technology and love it from the developer point of view, because then we will have real and true adoption. I think Isaac and our colleagues were telling you that, that they were skeptics. But once they learned about what it really meant and how incredibly sophisticated and and robust Bitcoin was, that made them fall in love with it even more. So. Uh, that's our goal. We want to stay in El Salvador for now. That's why the team is local. And and we, you know, just want to make sure that we're doing a good job there. And, and hopefully we can share those learnings with other teams if the, if the, that comes about. I don't know. I kind of view it as inevitable. I think countries who are want to get on board with where all this is headed and are being proactive 
have to develop educational programs um, on a large scale, right? It's kind of uh, kind of has to happen. That's that, that's a really great point because we're right now don't know. For example, for the fellowship, the Kala program, uh, the people take two months off to do the fellowship. But in El Salvador, because it is legal tender, because companies are all Bitcoin companies, maybe our students do not want to leave their company. They just want to stay where they are instead of shifting. So again, until we finish the work that we're doing, we won't know what the makeup of the fellows will be like. So we cannot make uh, decisions that are too fast about how to do the fellowship or what to require uh, until we see who goes through the two programs, right? So that's exciting. And it, 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 you know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but that also, as you say, helps us think like, okay, if this happened in El Salvador, what happens when Panama does it? How do we get a Torogos like organization? You know, maybe it can be a resource for whoever wants to launch this in Panama or Uruguay or wherever it's next. Very cool. Uh, Darwin Otero, good morning. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Yes, I just wanted to, to make a, a, a comment in regard to the learning path to develop on Bitcoin and also why Lightning is quite important here in El Salvador. So um, I have been, we have been having some experience onboarding uh, Salvadorian developers into Bitcoin core development and Lightning, but mainly from uh, private perspective and and yeah i just wanted to 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 say that as one of the uh Torogos, uh, uh developer was saying obviously for a developer that want to jump into uh develop in bitcoin yeah can be overwhelmed you know for all those those uh resources but obviously what Torogos is doing is, is very important uh, because they are putting that uh, foundations and and yeah from my from my experience we have been almost uh, yeah a year uh, you know training or onboarding some actual developers in bitcoin basically one of the orange peel moment for any developer you know, is that moment when they get uh, the Bitcoin uh, network, the Bitcoin blockchain running on their own uh, uh, computer, you know, even if that is a pruned node, a full node, or if that is in, in the mainnet or rectest or, or testnet. So that kind of, of, you know, foundation, I think that are basic and uh, in in Bitcoin and so and then so why uh, lightning uh, is important here in El Salvador so basically it is I think that it is about micropayment you know so we want to onboard all the businesses yeah all the people and what the kind of usage that they will do and uh, for Bitcoin is mainly Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. So, and usually, uh, you know, micropayments. That is where, you know, a lightning is is the best way, you know, to to do, uh, yeah, to 
let's say, yeah, to do transactions or to teach, uh, yeah, or to onboard for onboard people and, and merchants. So basically, we have been uh, changing our uh, pitch. For example, initially on merchants, we were talking about uh, Bitcoin uh, on chain and Bitcoin Lightning, but then we realized that they just need to know to hear about Bitcoin, which is, you know, in this case, uh, lightning. So I think that, yeah, the, the lear learning in Bitcoin, everything is about proof of work. You know, you need to spend uh, time, you know, to understand the network, uh, uh, the whole protocol. Uh, yeah, and that's why what Toragos is doing is, is very uh, important, like putting... Uh, defining that learning path you know so because yeah uh it's not easy like to jump in so yeah and yeah i just wanted you know like to say that and and we have been doing development so i will be more than happy you know to help marina and, and saline with any technical uh, question about why we are, uh, yeah, following those uh, steps, you know. Amy, good morning. Did you have something you wanted to add or ask? Good morning. Yeah, I was I was in a meeting, so I, if this has been addressed, uh, by all means, move on. Um, good morning, Marina. Good to see you again. Um, just wondering if you had shared with this group uh, kind of your Torogos, um, um, you know, long term vision of uh, possibly producing the first uh, Salvadoran core developer. Thank you. We have that goal, definitely. In fact, we had Jimmy Song, who was just in El Salvador, teaching his very, very intensive two-day course. Uh, out of 60 or so developers that are in our program, one of them was successful to get the, the test and, and question to get the scholarship. And so we're super excited. Jonathan just finished that, uh, that two-day course. Uh, he is unable to join us because he's at work. He works full time and so he couldn't join us. But uh, we also realized that there's some math, uh, not, not like Python or coding, but actual math that we want to potentially include in our fellowship thanks to having experienced that challenge that Jimmy and like I guess the level that Jimmy wants from Bitcoin core developers potential. And so we are working really hard to add a component that includes whether it's prob probability, algebra, statistics that can be in the fellowship so that we can keep uh, the, the students learning about those type of skills that are so important that keep Bitcoin private and have to do with cryptography so that we can train that angle or uh, that side of their their strengths, right? And so we are definitely working with Stacy and with the government who who learned about um, the 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 program and and Jimmy and how we can build towards uh, hopefully having a Bitcoin core developer from El Salvador in the coming years. Uh, that would be super exciting, and and so it was great to understand that gap. 
and to kind of, you know, until you, you have high expectations, you don't know what is missing. And that was a great discovery on our side to understand how we can build a better program coming up. All right. Any uh, final questions we've got from the panel? We'll go with that and then we'll start moving towards wrapping up. If you're in the audience and you want to ask a question, you can come up on stage and do that. If you want to ask a question in text, you can add it to our Telegram group. That's t.me Cafe Bitcoin Club. Again, t.me Cafe Bitcoin Club. You're welcome to uh, to ask questions about this. Marina, are you being contacted by uh, businesses that are interested possibly in hiring these um, these students. Does anybody know about it yet? We contact them before we even started. <laughs> you know, you you gotta build from the ground up, and so that was where we realized that there weren't any uh, developers from El Salvador that had been actively hired by the companies, and so they're importing a lot of talent, uh, but they also don't have a lot of time to train people. That's why a program like this is so. Uh, required necessary and they're very happy for something like this to come forth and help fill that space that was missing so yes we've talked to several companies and again we're not doing formal um, support request because we want to make sure that we are delivering on our side before doing that that request but yes they are very interested including the mentors who are uh, part of our program, they're very excited to see what happens with the group. Cool. Also, uh, I want to add something to Marina says. Uh, some uh, great experience I have with a couple of the students. Uh, they are start uh, discovering how the wallets are working inside. And one of uh, the students present here, uh, Ever Molina, start to uh, resolve in a full request in Galois, Galois GitHub, uh, working now directly to add some features at the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. So uh, the interesting part of the uh, part of this is. Uh, our our, stu uh, our students are get the confidence to go direct to work with uh, wallet codes. So it's one of the goals I want to share with you. Terrence, go ahead, jump in here. Uh, sure. Uh, thank you guys so much for what you're doing in El Salvador um, tra training uh, future. Bitcoin core developers. I'm wondering if you guys have heard of Base58 because it seems to be the project that's training the most future um, and current new Bitcoin core developers. It's run by Nifty Nay. And I wonder if um, you know you guys might collaborate or if you know about them. I actually just participated in her BTC++ hackathon in Austin. So we're totally talking... I was the only female at that hackathon and I survived. Yay. Good we job, Marina. <laughs> we worked on a project specifically related to El Salvador. So that was really great. And so, yes, we're definitely in communication. They know about us. And I just spoke with 
Blockstream as well because they want to collaborate for hackathons and things like that. So uh, she is incredibly supportive and they have opened their doors to any potential collaborations in the future. So yes, we are working with them. We're talking to, you know, Summer of Bitcoin, anybody who has a strong program, we are doing our very best to just let them know we're here and make sure that they know we have also talent that is hopefully available to them in the future. And yes, please get the word out, follow Torogos, please, 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 and uh, help share what we're building over there in El Salvador mm -hmm. so that we can create a really great opportunity for people that are uh, underemployed and would like to switch jobs in this amazing industry that we're in. Yeah, uh, also we are doing this because we are uh, creating the basis with a lot of people who in the future could follow the road to be a Bitcoin core developer. So we are just getting the basis for, for them. All right, fantastic stuff. We're pretty much near the end of the show. Let's, um, Marina, if you'd like to make some closing comments, anything you want to plug, um, and then we'll move towards wrapping. Just follow us, support Torogos, and obviously reach out if you want to support the program in the coming months. We want to make sure that we have that space for collaboration and for sponsorship. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Uh, this program is working really hard, and that Lorena and Salim and Ishikawa, you know, they're completely dedicated to this. So I appreciate your support. And uh, thank you, Alex, and thank you, Jacob, and thank you, Swan, for hosting us today. It was incredibly powerful. And thank you to the students who joined and spoke about their experience. As you can tell, they're very excited. So we're happy to give you that firsthand experience from the students themselves. Absolutely, man. I'm super glad that all of you joined today. Uh, and it's really interesting to see what you guys are doing down there. This is the way, man. This is the future. This is how the world is going to get on board with this thing. It's pretty exciting to see. Little baby steps, but uh, it's all important. All has to happen. So, um, okay, we're going to wrap. I'm going to hand it off to Chris for any announcements from Bitcoin Mag. Yeah, how's it going? Great conversation. Thank you so much. And thanks for all the work that you guys are doing in El Salvador. It's really awesome. Um, yeah, so I guess just two things from us. So we have Bitcoin Amsterdam coming up. October 12th through the 14th, trying to uh, bring so many great Bitcoiners together. Uh, while many people had trouble getting into the U.S. for the Bitcoin 2022 conference, we're bringing the Bitcoin conference to them in Europe and uh, really trying to get so many great Bitcoiners together. So October 12th through the 14th, you can get tickets at b.tc forward slash conference. We have the censorship resistant issue, which just came out, which we put a lot of hard work into. Obviously, it talks on a lot of the issues that we've seen uh, in the recent months, whether it's the Canadian truckers convoy or if you're a Russian citizen, let's just say, and unrelated to the conflict in the Ukraine-Russia area, um, that you know you were cut off from the SWIFT system and that greatly affected your family. So uh, great ways to get Bitcoin, great ways to get KYC Bitcoin, KYC free Bitcoin, and great way to learn about how to use your Bitcoin uh, to prevent censorship from nation state attack, basically. Uh, and then the last and final thing is we've got BAM Live. So we're going to be doing news and notes with PQ and myself. And then we're going to be talking to Jimmy Song. And uh, we're looking for another guest right now. We had a late cancellation, but we're uh, looking to bring someone else on the stream as well. So that'll be at 1 p.m. Eastern today on Bitcoin Magazine's YouTube channel. Back over to you, Alex. 
Right on. One last announcement regarding Pacific Bitcoin Conference. The tickets are on sale right now. You can go to PacificBitcoin.com to buy those. You can use promo code CAFE, that's C-A-F-E, try it in all caps, um, for a 20% discount. It's going to be the largest Bitcoin-only event of the year. Uh, We're going to celebrate Bitcoiners and the bright orange future we are building together. November 10th and 11th in Santa Monica, California, we have rented the Barker Hangar at the Santa Monica Airport. It's going to be so awesome. We're going to have a huge swan dome there, bigger than it's ever been, um, with lots of live events going on in there. We're going to have hands-on workshops and things like that for people to learn um, about how to use uh, wallets and really anything else that you're interested in learning. We've got an amazing lineup of speakers, which include... Lynn Alden, Jeff Booth, C.J. Wilson, Dylan LeClaire, Pierre Rochard, um, Michelle Fan, Eric Kaysan, Guy Swan, Mark Moss. Many more are going to be announced as we go. So um, really looking forward to seeing all of you there. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. We do it every day as a live show on Twitter spaces. Uh, If you want to catch it live, it starts at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours. If you can't catch it live, it is also a podcast up on Spotify, Apple. Uh, Fountain is the new place that you can grab that. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Mag, the sponsors of the show, my crew, and Shane, Sats for Life, producer Jacob, I am your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan Bitcoin. You can shoot me a DM if you want to know more about Swan. Thanks to Marina and Salim and all of the speakers that came up today to tell us about what you guys are doing down there. And also all the speakers that show up on this show on the regular, taking out personal time basically to teach people about this bright orange feature. I appreciate and admire all of you for what you're doing because we got to carry the word. There's a lot of people that need to learn about Bitcoin. It's the only peaceful path forward, I believe, for humanity. And I think it's literally changing everything. This is what we call get on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out in this space. You will figure it out over time. I love all of you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>